0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Print Design Podcast, episode 53, if we're, you know, if we're being specific. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins. Thank you so much for stopping by to check this out. I got another gem for you. I feel like DJ Khaled should be in the background. Another one. That was, that was me, not DJ Khaled. He's not here. Anyways. I'm very excited to bring you this episode because it was an incredible conversation that I thoroughly enjoyed having, but it also touches on one of the things that I've always said about print, and that's print has staying power, this memory power, whether it's nostalgic magazines from when we were younger, but anytime you get to look at something and interact with it, It lasts in the memory much longer than an Instagram ad or whatever else. And one of the projects that we talk about in this episode is this client gift box that my guest actually printed himself pretty cost effectively, and it made a huge splash and was really impactful for his customers, this client gift box. We also talk about a craft beer label, a 3D craft beer label, not just any old label the kind of craft beer label where you get the you know those red and blue goggles to sort of see like the 3D effects with it pretty damn cool And if this is the year for you to take those design skills to the next level, you want to grow your design skills this year, and you want to take on some sort of beverage account where you need to create a label or a shrink sleeve, maybe it's for a kombucha company, a sparkling water, a cold brew coffee, or maybe it is a craft brewery that you're looking to do some labels and stuff for, we created the Craft Beer Label Design Course. So let us teach you how to take advantage of the substrates, the shrink sleeves, the different label stocks you can use. Let us teach you the different processes and how you can take advantage of those processes to create a design that just jumps off the shelf, which is a huge win-win for both you and your customer for moving product. Plus it's a little something that you can show off to your friends. Look at my can that I designed right there out in that retail environment or at that craft brewery or all over Instagram or whatever it is. Let us teach you the craft beer label design process, but it's not just for craft beer. It's for any sort of beverage um, business where you're using labels or shrink sleeves or anything where you're creating a label, really. Head over to printdesignacademy.com to check that out. There's also a link directly to it down in the description of this podcast episode. You can also find it in our Instagram link in our profile. But printdesignacademy.com is where you can find the details on that course, see what's involved in all of the different things that we teach you. I think it's like six modules, seven modules. Anyways, loads of content to teach you how to be an expert in that label and shrink sleeve design world. That's it. So today, my guest, my guest, my guest today is Mike Clock. You might know him as at Stuffed Brain on Instagram. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Like I said, we dive into a client gift box that he created and he sort of like put together with materials that he had lying around really cost effectively. But the impact of this piece is crazy awesome. It's such a unique piece. And then we get into that 3D craft beer label. So I'm not very good at telling his story. So ladies and gentlemen, my guest, Mike Clock, Hit that intro. Welcome to the Print Design Podcast. The show where we talk about all things print and packaging. We go behind the scenes with designers and talk about the print projects they designed that really rocked their world. From file prep, to holding the finished product in their hand, and all the key decisions in between. So, let's talk ink on paper. Mike, welcome to the Print Design Podcast. How are you?
1: Thanks, Dave, for having me. Really appreciate it. Doing good.
0: Awesome. I'm excited to have you. I've seen your work for a while online and then um, thought, you know what? I I just got to reach out. Maybe it's not so scary. Maybe he's a nice guy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I try to be. I try to be. I'm glad we could finally connect.
0: Yeah, exactly. We aligned schedules. We made it work. Um, I thought a great way to kick this off would just be to have you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, so my name is Mike Clock. Uh, For the last six years, I've worked full time as a freelancer under the name Stuff Brain Studio, uh, primarily doing design, illustration, branding work, and then kind of my guilty pleasures, screen printing. And so I have a studio space where I do that myself.
0: I was going to say, I've seen on the Instagram some of you, you know, you're actually like pulling screens and stuff. And and you're getting into it.
1: Yeah, man. Getting away from the computer is like, it's such a healthy release for me to be just at that table and not staring at a screen for a while.
0: So. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I'd love to get into the screen print stuff more, but my background is in like the commercial print, like offset print kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And um, I started in production. I started by running presses and doing the finishing equipment and things like that and moved into, I wouldn't say moved up. I would say I moved into <laughs> uh, sort of the more client management sales side of things. Yeah. And um, every once in a while though, you know, you're like, ah, just just put me on press, man. Let me see if I still got it. Let me see mm-hmm. if I can still do something.
1: Yeah, so I kind of fell in love with printing. Uh, I mean, it's a long twisted tale. But one of the things one of my first professional jobs was uh, doing sales for a screen printing company, uh, mainly apparel based. So I print flat stock now, but uh, it was for an apparel company. And then my second professional job before I went full time freelance was doing um, quality inspections and press checks and you know, basically project management for a uh, local college. And so that really gave me the attention to detail that got me into those rooms with those big presses that you're talking about, all the finishing Uh, equipment. And I was fascinated by it, all the options you can get into.
0: Man, it's still cool. I've been doing it for like 19 years and I still get excited walking into the press room and just sort of seeing equipment, How I mean, what do we got on press today and seeing old plates all stacked up and stuff. It's still a cool experience (laughs) to me.
1: Oh, for sure. So like right before this, I was actually trimming, getting some prints trimmed uh, going to our local, um, book arts center, they call it the Kalamazoo book arts center. And basically they kind of offer classes, you know, space for people. And they have like an old trimming, you know, press. And, uh, and so I could trim my sheets there versus doing exacto knife one by one or something like yeah. that. And, uh, man, just that final piece. Once, you know, it's totally done, it's trimmed, it's set, it's ready to go. It's, uh, it's a magical feeling. So, uh, yeah. I just got to feel that today.
0: That's cool, man. I love yeah. like the, the, um, the guillotine cutters, like the big, huge paper. You're, you're cutting this four inch stack of paper. You lean back, you push a couple of buttons and just go. chunk.
1: Oh just... yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. such and a I... cool feeling and uh you know because you want to protect the top sheet of the print because it can get Mm -hmm. a little dirty on that so you cover it with a you know just a scrap piece of paper and every time i'm like double checking i'm like wait do i have the registrations on this side or (laughs) you don't want to hit that trim side twice no Uh, 100 percent. yeah yeah i made it safe i got through everything without any uh, mistakes
0: awesome well i'm glad you didn't rush and like mistrim just to try and make this or something like that yeah right right Awesome. So tell me just a little bit about the the transition from, you know, working for somebody to freelance, working for yourself, because you've obviously made a great career out of that so far. And like, how how did you make that move? What was the the factors to that?
1: Yeah. So uh, at the time that I was doing um, the job at the college, I was already freelancing for one of my biggest clients, One Well Brewing. They're a Mm -hmm. brewery in the area that I'm sure we'll talk about later. And they were really starting to need more of my time and more of my services. Uh, In addition to that, I was running like a community drink and draw that was starting to pick up some steam and momentum. We were doing monthly events. So I was managing and marketing that. That's cool. And I really just kind of felt like I was at a position where uh, I could say to myself, "All right, I'm young enough, single enough, my cost of living is low enough in Kalamazoo, Michigan, that I could take a risk here. I can take a chance. And if this doesn't work out, that college isn't going anywhere. They'll, yeah. they'll take me back. You know, I left on good terms. And, and so I really just felt like it was an opportunity to be able to roll the dice a little bit. And, and I made the leap and it was scary and terrifying. And I, I sat there and I just, I don't know. I, I struggled for a while. Cause I mean, I didn't have enough clients to really justify full-time freelance. It was, mm-hmm. it, it turned design into a job and, took the passion away pretty quick, but I've been able to get that back through working with some really awesome clients and just kind of feeling a little more comfortable and in my own skin these last few years.
0: So, that's cool. And you yeah. do also do like your own stuff, right? You're not just doing client stuff. You're doing your own stuff and you're selling your own stuff too, right?
1: Yeah, that's definitely a piece of the puzzle. I'd like it to be a bigger one. And as I you know, do more screen prints and start to make a little bit more of a name for the products that I create, yeah. um, I definitely hope that that can continue to grow
0: yeah i hope so too man because that's such a rewarding feeling of just having the complete creative freedom to like wake up and be like i want to draw a skull today yeah and you can like go ahead and you can turn it into whatever kind of products you want like that's a cool feeling
1: yeah so like again the the prints i was just trimming like uh november december i get to do an annual art show at one well being, uh, you know, kind of their, they, they do a featured artist wall. And so mm-hmm. I'm the November, December slot every year. And it is an opportunity for me to say, all right, once a year, I'm going to make sure I do something that's pushing myself for myself. And, uh, you know, no client brief, no objective other than making myself laugh or cry or whatever type of art I feel like creating that year, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so it's a good time. So I'm, I'm riding that wave right now, just finishing that up last week and uh yeah it's it's something i always hope and encourage other artists to try to spend more time on there's so many people that crank out killer work i'm sure we could run down the list and if they did their own thing just a little bit man if they yeah. turned what they were working on into some type of tangible product or something uh it could open up a whole new rev- revenue stream for them yeah and,
0: it, and it's fun yeah oh of it's course fun yeah. to create and screw things up yourself and <laughs> Be like, yeah, I think I could sell that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So I want to kick this back um, to, to little Mike. And I want to hear about your earliest memory of print or packaging, maybe something from your childhood, your teens. Um, what comes to mind for you, Mike?
1: Man, that's a great question. I would say the first thing that comes to mind is the Little Caesars pizza box. Yeah. And so I that was like a little treat that we would get my, you know, we had three boys growing up. We were all playing sports. We were constantly busy. My parents were running around working like, you know, working like dogs just to keep food on the table. And every every once in a while that little Caesar's pizza box would make its way home. And we knew today was going to be a special little treat. And, uh, and just the, the the character on it, the mascot and the colors and the printing of it, even just the offsetting of the printing, the way that it didn't align all that stuff just felt so rich to me. It felt so like yep. just tactile and vibrant. And I was like, wow, this is, this is so much cooler than some of the sterile stuff I see. And certainly more exciting than, you know, another round of potatoes as much as I love potatoes. But,
0: uh, <laughs> yeah. We're so, not slagging on the potato here. But no, we're just not saying. at all, mom. I love you, mom. <laughs> but uh, uh, no, just, just having that,
1: having that kind of special little treat it, and then having it come literally in packaged yeah. form really just kind of, resonated with me as, as time's gone on.
0: It's that little Caesars that hot and ready. Mm -hmm.
1: Yep. Absolutely. (laughs) Game changer in our household.
0: Absolutely, man. That's such a cool, and yeah, I remember that little character and it actually even had like commercials that went along with it. Yeah. Oh yeah. And And
1: so so we're in Michigan and so they're based from here. So it's been, it's been a a part of our kind of vocabulary forever. And, uh, and it's just, uh, very prominent in the area.
0: Yeah. Could say a family tradition. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. What about recently? Um, have you been around any unique packaging or cool print that surprised you or you really enjoyed recently?
1: Uh, I, I, I will say a unique opportunity that I was able to experience a couple weeks ago was I went to Vegas with a client for um, – it was a big marijuana ex- expo. For work? Yeah, for, I know, right? You can't tell people you go to Vegas. <laughs> never, before. they don't believe, you. They don't <laughs> believe you. But uh, no, so actually, I, I flew out with a client, and we went to. Uh, it was a big. It was uh, MJ BizCon, so a marijuana yep. business convention. Yep. And so marijuana. I was I was there primarily to look at all the packaging options, and so that was really cool. Uh, definitely seeing where that industry is going because everything needs to be child safe, but still mm-hmm. aesthetically pleasing, still functional. Uh, Still economical, you know, all that stuff. So that was a very fun opportunity to check stuff out. Um,
0: That's cool. And yeah, that industry is a very unique balance for packaging. Like it's got to look good. It's got to feel good. Mm -hmm. It's got to be child resistant. It has to have all of the warning labels on it and still somehow look good. Yeah. Yeah. And it's got to have some sort of experience to it. Like you got you to create this experience, this memorable interaction with it. Um, that's a that's a tough jam.
1: Oh, it, it absolutely is. And uh, in addition to all that, I mean, just the, you know, primarily what I've worked on, and I think you're very familiar with, is, you know, beer, right? And mm-hmm. so it's mm-hmm. been like beer labels, it's the same size or shape more or less every time, uh, either a 16 ounce or 12 ounce. And yes, you can definitely, you know, customize, but we're talking edibles. Uh, pre-rolls like just the amount of different varieties of items that need to be packaged tinctures uh, cartridge
0: vape cartridges like it's all over the place
1: it opens up so many different doors because what's what works for one of those items isn't going to work for the others and so the amount of variety and options there was was really cool to check out
0: that's that's really cool yeah i love going to those things and seeing just you know booth after booth with like unique products displayed i mean plus it's all like it's all marijuana, just like out in (laughs) tables. And I went to one of those back in, I was in Portland. Uh, I think it was in Portland about three years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, I just remember, like I was at working a booth and talking about our packaging and the great packaging that we offered and we produced. And there was guys just literally walking around, just handing out joints, just here you go, try this stuff, try this. So you walk out of there like, this is crazy. (laughs) It's like just a totally different world
1: yeah and i I will say that's what I was totally expecting heading there, mm-hmm. and it was, actually wasn't the you know uh, marijuana wasn't allowed inside the venue at all, which felt very you know uh backwards but I, yeah, but it was definitely like, hey, this is the business side of this business, you know, mm-hmm. consume elsewhere go you know go down the streets, Vegas you can pretty much do what you want there but yeah. uh inside the inside the grounds it was it was definitely not allowed and which was fine. I mean it's not yeah. like. I think we can all live without it for a day or two. But, yeah, we'll uh, be all
0: right. Yeah, we'll um, the other thing that I found really interesting, um, and you might not have found this now, but three years ago or so, when like it—it it doesn't sound like that long ago—but in terms of like the marijuana world and legalization and businesses really promoting it like a business, mm-hmm. um, it was it was fairly new th- about three years ago. Like it was still up and coming. Yeah. So at this trade show. You would be having these conversations with these guests walking around, these people that are visiting the trade show, and you'd look at them and they, you know, that stereotype that that like stoner stereotype from high school. You'd be like, "Oh, these guys are just stoners," and then you find out that they've got five different grow operations and like annual revenue of six million dollars and stuff like, like legit business people running successful businesses in that space, but just like with your own, uh, stereotypes in your head, like they just don't look the part. So I was constantly surprised by that.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, me, that's been a big, big conversation with me in my social circles and in my professional circles is dress and apparel and what's appropriate and who, who really gets to be the gatekeeper on that conversation. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I advocate very heavily for, if you don't feel comfortable in your own skin, if you don't feel comfortable in your own clothes, like you know, then you're not going to be at your best doing your best business. And so yeah. uh, at this convention, it said business casual attire. And so I I'm, I'm, I'm put on a button down shirt for the first time in probably uh, six months or a year since whatever yeah. social occasion that was too formal for me to, to go like this. But yeah. this is my uniform 90% of the day or 90% of the time a black t-shirt. Yeah. And the group that I was with, they go, our money's just as good as anybody else's, wear what you want. And I was like, all right, that's what I wanted to hear. (laughs) And uh, uh, yeah, to your point though, I mean, I've heard it called the Travis Barker effect. Tattoos, cut off t-shirt, you know, just totally looks rough around the edges, but that man has more money than probably most people in the room. And you just never know with people these days
0: yeah i like the travis barker effect i like that yeah.
1: i can't say i coined it i heard it somewhere but
0: uh no i'm pretty sure you said you coined it <laughs> that's all good um awesome man well i want to now hear about the first print project you were ever a part of the first one that you ever created can you tell me about that one
1: uh something i created for myself or you saying like a client one or the
0: very first one doesn't matter for yourself for for a client in school whatever it was what was that first project The first
1: thing that comes to mind that was print would actually be me starting a little side hustle in college. And it was a a screen printed t-shirt. And so I'm from a city called Kalamazoo, Michigan. I can't say the design was great, but I basically (laughs) (laughs) created just a a layout, uh, you know, like Cali was on the top, Mizzou, uh, you know, just stacked layered and it resonated with our college community i'd go to parties and hustle it out of my backpack and yeah, sell them yeah. out of the trunk of my car and and you know i think we maybe sold like thousand or something over the course of a year or two you know so like it was That's a it, lot it, it was it was and uh and that really just kind of lit a fire under my i don't know if i can swear or not but uh, yeah. it lit a fire under my ass and it was just like hey Somebody's interested in something that came out of your head, you know, like you turned it into something real and now what's next. And, Mm -hmm. and so I just continued to be a customer at that print shop. And that's what led to me getting my first job in sales. There was me just constantly coming back to them, trying to try out a new print project. So yeah,
0: yeah. man, that's so cool. Do you still have those t-shirts? Uh, I think I might have one ceremonial
1: copy somewhere. <laughs> ceremonial copy. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just for the little bit of nostalgia, but you yeah. know, some like a lot of designers, I'm sure at some point you, it's, it's hard to look at some of that stuff that you're not, you're proud yeah. of that you did it at some point, but it doesn't feel like work you really want to put on the portfolio anymore. So.
0: Yeah. You know, I'm going to need a picture of that, right? Mike? I can
1: try to find one for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's awesome. Perfect. Thanks, man. Uh,
1: there's a pretty, there's a pretty crew, uh, this is a pretty interesting photo shoot that went with it too, you know, like it's, I, I shouldn't have listened to the f- photographer's direction. They have me kind of being the front and center of something and I'm very much not the front and center guy. Like stick me over in the corner somewhere. <laughs> I don't need to be the, the front of this uh, photo shoot at
0: all. So. Yeah, okay, When you de- when you describe it that way, um, do you remember the movie Napoleon Dynamite? Oh, yeah. 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 So we watched that. We watched that. Was, we had family movie night on Friday, and we watched that with my three kids, and um, my mother-in-law was over too. We watched that. And so when you're describing the photo shoot, I just think of like them trying to get their headshots to go sell their Tupperware or whatever, and they're just, <laughs> you know, they're, like turning their heads certain ways and yeah. oh, put your fist under, look right up. Yeah, this yep. is gonna work really good. This is. I- I always
1: refer back to any time a camera gets pointed on me. I mean, it's so nerve wracking, but uh, I always refer back to, what is it? Talladega Nights, where I'm just like, I don't know what to do with my hands. And I just like start, <laughs> <laughs> I just start to get real classic. awkward real fast. Yeah. And, you know, I just don't know what to do arms. with my
0: hands. <laughs> <laughs> that's such a good, that's such a classic. I forget about that movie. Yeah. Oh yeah, Wolf Ferrell's great. Oh, so good. Yeah. We watched Blades of Glory right after Napoleon Dynamite. So it was, it was good. That's a night. That's yeah, yeah, it was epic. It was a good one. We finished yeah. watching it and it was like, Man, it's only seven o'clock. All right. What else are we putting on? <laughs> um. So Mike, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, project that you've been a part of that maybe didn't go well, didn't turn out as you'd hoped, um, went sideways, whether it was on press or, or, or whatever that was, do you have a project that just didn't quite turn out the way you'd hoped? Can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah. Um, I could say uh, there's a couple different, cause like, yeah, to me, it's, it's very different objectives as far as going well, when it's a project, you know, say like a screen print for mm-hmm. myself versus a client one. Um, but I've certainly had everything from the, uh, you know, the misprinted text, you know, nobody read it from the client side or it got, you know, it missed approvals and all of a sudden it's on the, it's on the document. But something we could actually, you know, I think it might kind of coincide with other things that we wanted to talk about is the 3d label that I worked on. So that one is one that I'd love to revisit someday as far as kind of the expectation and the the end result of how I wanted that label to function and look. And so, on screen, on paper printed out flat, it worked great. Rolled on that can, it definitely had some issues with the distortion of the, you know, the concave or whatever. Interesting. The label. Yeah, which I wouldn't have thought of. I tried to mock it up to the best of my abilities with my home printer. Yeah. It seemed like, oh, right, it'll get us there, kind of. But then, you know, they printed it, ended up printing it CMYK versus spot color. So there's all those little speckles of color in there. Yeah, it changes it a bit. And yeah. Yeah. And so we tend to give a lot of one well stuff just a little bit, bit of an aged look, a little, t- you know, a little tinge of nostalgia and like mm-hmm. ricketiness. And I probably would have to print that one a little cleaner next time, maybe remove that layer of color mm-hmm. because that yellow hue also kind of distracted from, I think, the prominence of those two colors trying to really kind of play that 3D trick on you.
0: Totally. Yeah. I can see yeah. that happening. And it, it's, it's like um, like lenticular printing. Like it's, it's very much like test and tune and try. And, mm-hmm. and because the, it's, it's hard to get an exact science and nail it right out the gate. Yeah. You know, when you get into that 3d stuff.
1: Yeah. And that was, that was done right. That was kind of one of the first beers that we launched for them. Once we were in a full shutdown for the mm-hmm. pandemic. And yeah. so we we're like, hey, let's try to do something a little more exciting, a little more different than just our standard labels, mm-hmm. uh, which feature, you know, just one central kind of character, very similar layout. And we go, let's blow this one out a little bit and really try to, like, you know, create a little bit of traction. Mm-hmm. Kind of had the, you know, the, the marketing gimmick of, hey, let's include the 3D glasses. Let's really kind of try to excite people. Yeah. about coming back into our space just to grab something to go since they can't be here anymore. Yeah. And so, so we put a lot of time into it, but we also didn't leave ourselves much time to, to get a sample and, you know, do a lot yeah. of those things that you want to make sure you can do to really ensure a quality product.
0: Mhm. So that, you know, what, that's like a good segue into diving into these projects. So mm-hmm. um we're going to dive into a couple of them. I'd love to chat about the One Well Brewing stuff, including yeah. that 3D label, just a little bit about the the concept behind it, how that went and a little bit more detail about that. Mm-hmm. Um and also some of the other work that you've done for One Well. I'll share the screen, we can chat about some of those. Um and then also a client gift box that you put together for yourself and for your clients. Um I want to get into that after that so let's just do like a little screen share here and pull up this uh, 3d label this guy right here yeah awesome and i'll share this on my instagram for those of you who are listening to this i'll share this photo on instagram so you can have a look um yeah so so tell me like the idea was you wanted to create something different than a standard label how did you land on 3d it
1: was um uh- It was really just kind of this idea of we were watching the news so much constantly things were going Mm on you know every day was a new new concern and this beer had already been out the name had already existed but they had never put it in cans before and so i uh i just kind of thought man i'm just staring at the news right now this feels feels like the right time this feels like the right name to kind of just bring back that old Walter Cronkite type feel and you just, everybody's just kind of around the TV and mm-hmm. moral dilemma you, it's a little hard to see on this photo but you know there's a nice little beer can with a with a with an angel's crown and then one with a little devil horns on each side of the shoulder mm-hmm. uh just kind of whispering to the the anchor to kind of you know steer the news in the direction of where things are heading man uh, how
0: representative is yeah. that <laughs> yeah i know right and, yeah. uh,
1: yeah. And honestly, I just kind of sat there and, and as I was staring more and more at that guy, it just something felt a little missing. And oftentimes, if I don't feel like I'm drawing eyes correctly, putting on some type of sunglasses or something is a, is a solution that I can lean on. And I go, what about some 3D ones? You know, I'm staring at a screen or I'm staring at this. Um, uh, there was actually a print magazine kind of in my in my apartment and it had some 3D stuff in it too. And I just go, what if I... I'm staring at this label all day. Then I go and look at this print magazine to try to get some inspiration. What if I just kind of lean into it and use the 3D uh, concept that they have going on here, Mm -hmm. which going down that rabbit hole as far as a design file was fascinating. It's not just taking a blue layer and a red layer and shifting them. Like there's the, to create the real depth, you have to isolate certain pieces and do those at different amounts.
0: Okay, Um, I wanna hear a little bit more about that, but first up, that magazine that you went to look at. Yeah. Was it National Lampoons, Mike? No, it
1: wasn't.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I have a National Lampoons that I, I bought off of um, Facebook Marketplace like a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Just this nostalgic collection of magazines. Um, I'm going to be filming a YouTube video with them shortly here. just oh, to, cool. and And the stories will come out from that. But um, one of the ones that I got and picked up from the guy was this 3D edition. Mm-hmm. And it was the blue and the red and it came with the glasses. Um, so I, I was just wondering, I'm like, wouldn't that be amazing if you had like the national lampoons 3D yeah,
1: edition? I mean, that sounds fantastic. Yeah. This was, this was primarily 3d, a 3d book. We, uh, we my, my girlfriend and I, we tend to do a lot of antique shops and, you know, oh. v- looking for all that stuff. And it's something she uncovered at one of them. And when we, it was a definite grab. And uh, we had a lot of extra time on our hands to sift through those books through uh, 2020, so that's something mm-hmm. that we did.
0: So now, on the file side of creating something like this, um, talk to me a bit about that.
1: Yeah, I will say it was a, it was a you know uh, a year ago, so I'm probably a little rusty on the the proper flow that yep. I you know. But in general, it was a lot of it ended up being put into Photoshop, and I was separating you know by color. But then there's just kind of this isolation and uh, the label. And I could probably pass along one that has, you know, the full flat label. Cause there's different elements. Like there's a TV on one side of the label. There's a couple yeah. different, you know, screens and camera and microphone. And I made each one of those, its own layer and then applied that same 3d effect and distorted it. The, the amount of um, with the variance between the red and the blue based on how far into the background you want it or how close into the foreground you want it. And so you end up creating probably for seven or eight elements, you know, basically fourteen different layers to account for both colors and then sh- how you want them to shift.
0: <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. I did. Um, it I did took too f- long. It yeah.
1: Took, I-, <laughs> I mean, it took too long. It was uh, to, and that's that's kind of where the bummer comes in when it's like, man, i can it didn't quite hit, but for the time that we spent trying to get it right. On screen, it looks awesome, it definitely works, but it's, uh, rolled on a can, it just didn't apply the same way, mm-hmm. yeah. There you go, yeah,
0: yeah. So, this is uh, I'm just trying to get this positioned right. There you go, and I'll share this on Instagram as yeah, well, cool. yeah. So, you can see all the elements of the design, I can see how things have been, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Again, with the glasses, all of a sudden, you'd be like, Wow, that TV's so much closer than you know, the the camera in the back, and it really just. Yeah you can see the breaking that screen kind of really popping off the page behind it. The, the, what is that? A big flat or map, the big map back there. So
0: I wonder if it would work if I took my goggles and just looked at the screen.
1: I'd be curious. Yeah. I mean, that's also been thrown through the, you know, the mock-up machine and everything else. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I'd be
0: really curious. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to test that and I'll let you know after. <laughs> All right, please do. Yeah, I'll test it out. <laughs> and that's such a unique idea and really cool. And I love how you, know, you can create these unique experiences still with print. And mm-hmm. it's kind of like an old school technique in the way that it's created 3D. You know, Think of like the magic eyes and stuff like those books that are out now where you can build some real depth just by going cross-eyed. But like this is, this is how it was done initially. This is the way.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, printing techniques—you uh, know, everything from like the four-color process to screen printing—all—all all that constraint is something that I'm very attracted to. Just, mm-hmm. hey, we're we're working with a limited color palette here. We we can't we can't print every gradient, every little hue under the sun, and yep. uh, that's just been a driving force for all of my art, art ever since I kind of uncovered the world of print.
0: Uh, yeah. And it's funny you say that because just today I put out this carousel on my, on our Instagram, um, that was about black and, you know, there's four or five different ways that you could produce black, whether that's just black ink or double hit or CMYK boosted black, or, um, you know, using some of the Pantone blacks, um, And I asked the question when I shared it is, you know, have you ever designed within some sort of one color constraint? Like that's all you have. And that can be a really empowering creative restriction versus something that is a restriction where you feel limited Um, because like, you know, the variables have been decided. Now you just get to create with that. Yeah. uh,
1: I just, and I appreciate, you know, different design definitely appreciate design styles that I don't feel I do well. Mm -hmm. And one of those is, you know, using gradients and, and some of that type of stuff, uh, lots of colors. I really, I really love that to be so intentional with just a few colors that I use. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it really just makes me think about why, why am I choosing that color versus any other one? When you use 20 Mm -hmm. colors, it feels like they become less crucial or less critical in the thought
0: process. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I can see that. And then the other thing that could play in, um, you know, for any type of print, really, you see it in screen printing a lot, but also for offset is using a colored paper to really add mm-hmm. another element, another, another variable, almost another color, but not quite, um, you know, into the equation and things that you can work with.
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, I just did a t-shirt for a client that was on a black, black t-shirt. So you're kind of working in reverse as far as what colors you need to to pop off of that. And mm-hmm. They go, they went, the screen printer, I went to go do a press check on it. And the screen printer printed the black key line that I designed. I'm like, yeah, you don't actually need it. The shirt's black. We, we can avoid it yeah. and, uh, and make the shirt feel softer, you know, less ink heavy. Mm-hmm. And so they, we, you know, we tested it on press and sure enough, the details were crisp enough on the other colors that they didn't need to kind of cover it with that black. Uh, on the edges and we ran with it uh so anytime you can use a color from the product or garment itself to you know help solve that problem for you a little faster or a little more economically it's, mm-hmm. it's cool that's where you know like french paper comes in and so many others that um just change the game in that way
0: yeah some of those beautiful uncoated papers oh yeah yeah so yeah. sticking with the one well brewing thing i want to just bring up their uh, I think it's their website here. Yeah, um, just to really showcase the variety of different creatives and, and designs you've done for them. So, like, talk to me a little bit about the design theme of these, and like, what goes into them. And
1: uh, yes, so the there was two owners originally, and <laughs> uh, one of them, the head brewer, was kind of known as the wizard. It was his kind of little nickname. Okay, and and so in my head, I said, all right, well, let's personify this guy. You know, let's give him a, a character and uh the other owner was a fairly tall man and we uh we thought he could be a different character and you know and so we just kind of started to build out this cast of characters mm-hmm. and before i knew it we were starting to talk about making cans and and i just wanted to continue um continue down that rabbit hole and say all right well who are those who is the wizard's buddy you know like who does who's the wizard hang out with okay he hangs yeah. out with bigfoot and all right, well, where are they? What are they doing out in the woods? Who are they hanging out with? And who who are the people that they come into contact with? And so the first three or four that we created were actually three out of the four right here: the Halapa, Wapi and Sweetwater Street uh, mm-hmm. were the first. Were three out of the four, four first beers that we designed characters for, and then the list just kind of kept growing and growing, and, uh, and we just wanted to keep you know having fun with it.
0: So keep the characters kind of basically became the theme of these core beers.
1: Yeah, yep. And so that was just kind of a fun memorable way uh again using colors, limited color to kind of identify each beer with uh with the ring on top and some, you know, coordination with the the name of the beer itself. Mm-hmm. And so, hey, each beer gets a new character, a new uh new color palette and we just kind of we kind of keep cruising them out now at this point.
0: That's cool. Yeah.
1: And there have been, as we, as we scroll through there yeah, there certainly have been some, you know, some pivots. We've done like the moral dilemma one that we talked about earlier. We've done some change-ups just to kind of test the waters and say, Mm -hmm. you know, after 30 or so of those labels, is it time to try something a little different, but they continue to move and you know, the beer speaks for itself.
0: Yeah, man, that's, uh, these are so fun. And that, ties in obviously to the brand experience and things that people are getting from, you know, having these.
1: Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, for a little more context on the brewery itself. So, um, Mm -hmm. there, the tagline we ended up coming up with them for, came up with them years ago is Bigfoot tested wizard approved purposefully, not really putting (laughs) beer in there at all. And just the idea of like, okay, well, what the hell does that mean? You know? And, uh, you know, Bigfoot's out in nature just beating up this product and the wizard's sitting there saying, hey, it's good. And uh, and so we just really have fun with it. The space itself is filled with board games, pinball machines. It's a very, um, very childlike place for adults, you know, mm-hmm. like it's it's also family friendly, but yeah, it really is a place where adults can go and feel like they're playing the same games and activities that they did when they were kids. And we tried to make the cans kind of representative of that while still being, you know, age appropriate.
0: A hundred percent. And that's where you get that sense of play and creativity and um, that sort of cartoon feel mm-hmm. to the illustrations put into each of the labels. Yep. Yep.
1: Yeah. It's uh, I mean, big influences for me or, you know, from my childhood, is things like the Flintstones and uh, shows like that, where you look, actually look back on them and I read through some of the old comics and, they aren't that good appropriate you know there's some stuff in there that's that's kind of layered and you know
0: it's, <laughs> it's definitely it's
1: in 2021 it's definitely you know it'd, it'd be written differently for sure and yeah. so um, the old, just
0: the old like, ones are edgy
1: yeah yeah right and so uh we try to have a little bit of that tongue-in-cheek fun with with one well stuff too
0: Yeah. And and that's fun. I like that. That's very, it's creative. It makes people feel, it makes people smile and feel Mm -hmm. good. And that's really what we're, what you're trying to establish, you know, with a brand and a product like this. Um, I've just started noticing like on, in the background of each of the design, Mm -hmm. um, or most of the designs, I think there's, there's a bunch of text and and drawings and illustration. Is that what's going on in the background here?
1: yeah so that's kind of a little easter egg and yeah it's certainly certainly something that i don't think a ton of people engage with which i'm okay with but i I created fake advertisements for stuff that revolves around their business and brewery and inserted it in the back similar just to the comics that we were talking about earlier you know those fun little there's one that's like bigfoot mask you know buy here uh you know, sure to scare you. It has all those kind of choppy language cues that those comics used to write in, mm-hmm. and so it's just that next level or that you know additional detail where we say if you actually take the time to read through them, you learn so much about the brand and who, how the brand views itself and you know the the experience we want you to have while you consume mm-hmm. the product.
0: I love that. Like an Easter egg.
1: Exactly. I love hiding little, little like cues and little, you know, jokes inside stuff like that. Especially when I, when I have a client like one well that allows me to, to really flex that muscle.
0: That's fun. And that's what I love about, um, you know, in, in the th- things that you're doing working with one well, but also creating your own stuff, you know, the craft beer label world and the screen print world, like they offer up so much creative freedom Mm-hmm. for a designer to to work within like there's there's usually very few constraints that you're working within in terms of like a brand guide or a brand look so yeah. you can really get super creative mm-hmm. in how you're going to represent this particular beer this particular label
1: yeah um, so it's, it's always been yeah. a curiosity of mine because some breweries go the total opposite direction and each yeah. beer looks extremely different and you, mm-hmm. some of them don't even put the name on the front, you know? And I think that there's a lot that goes into that conversation, whether it's, you know, just their business model in general, how they're, are mm-hmm. they one of the type of people that have this beer year round or is it a once it, it's out once and never again type of thing. And, uh, you know, knowing that they want to allow their beers to, to be continuously available and distributed across the state, you know, consistent building that consistency was an important consideration for us. But in general, just the amount of variety and styles that you can explore—it's such a welcoming environment. The craft beer mm-hmm. consumer is pretty, pretty diverse and pretty willing to to look at most labels and be, you know, find it interesting enough to grab and read more, or learn more about
0: mm-hmm so when you're when you're designing a new label do, how often do you get to actually taste the product before you get into the design and illustration
1: that's i'd say about 50 percent of the time okay um so a lot of the labels that are featured on this website now the mm-hmm. beer had been around and available for a little bit just on draft in their tap room because they've certainly grown their grown their canning program over time mm-hmm. and a lot of the staples that they go, all right, well, now it's time to flip the switch and turn these into cans so we can distribute to the other side of Michigan or wherever. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then there's other ones that, Hey, this is the first time we've ever done it. We know it's going to be a hit or it's a barrel aged one. So it's been sitting and nobody's had a chance to taste it really yet. Um, Having said that they live very close. You know, I live very close to to their production facility. There's times that I've also gone there and been like, I need a little inspiration. You know, I need to, I need to sample the goods here and see <laughs> and see what I'm supposed to get inspired by.
0: Yeah, give me a bit of the sauce. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> That's cool, man. Yeah, these are really well done. I love the Easter egg portion of it. Your illustrations are great. They're clever. They're um they're they're super fun and are like really well done on these ones for sure. Thank you. I appreciate it. So I want to kick this over to the box and talk a little bit about that now and and what the heck is going on there and why you decide to do it. And, and, you know, if I'm assuming you paid for that out of pocket and, you know, what that costs and and those sort of things. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to pull up pictures of that. And again, you can find uh-huh. these on Instagram here. So let's just like work our way in, into the inside of this bad boy and start, yeah. with, start with this. There we go. So give yeah. me the story of this box.
1: Well, I think it's actually... It- to me, it checks so many boxes, no pun intended. That Oh, that's ridiculous. That's <laughs> <Whoa>. ridiculous. <Woo. laughs> All right. Uh, reset. Uh, it, it really accomplished a lot of things that I wanted to accomplish with this. Uh, I actually collected that box from another tenant in uh, my old art studio building. And I just sat on it for a long, long time, not knowing what to do with it, but Hey, they were recycling like 50 of these boxes. Yeah. I'll find something to do with a box. That's free. Okay. I'm very Dutch like that. You know, I want to, so if I could have
0: find. 50 of these for free. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so, <laughs> and, uh, and so the box was just in my studio. I would moved it from studio to studio year after mm-hmm. year, never doing anything with it. Always saying, I'll find a project for this. And, uh, the end of the year came around 20 for 2020 and I, really wanted to try to do something nice for my clients. Uh, 2020 ended up being a good year for my business. Uh, I know it wasn't for a lot of people, so I felt so fortunate for the people that did call me, did ask me to do work for them. Okay. And so I wanted to try to do something for them that was a little different than what I had done in the past. And I'm still a small business, so, you know, coming up with some fancy elaborate gift or a gift card or something for all the clients that I wanted to give this to wasn't exactly financially feasible. Mm-hmm. And so I said, well, what if I can do something a little more personable or personal from from myself? And the best thing I can do is spend my time and working towards my craft. And what, it, what would they feel if I did that for them for this project? Mm-hmm. So I screen printed these in my studio myself using all reclaimed materials that I had accumulated over the years of having a studio space. So the cost was basically just labor, just time. Um, So that was the cool part. The one thing I did buy as we start to work into the box was the, you know, one of the items inside of it, Mm -hmm. but, but the box itself was just that was figuring out how to get those checkerboards on the inside and outside and clean like that. That was, that was a challenge.
0: I bet because that's like it's not as simple, especially when you're, you know, when you're using. I think, anyways, but I don't know a whole lot about the, um, you know, printing on pre die cut stuff. Yeah, but is that is that more challenging than just like a flat squared off sheet?
1: It it wouldn't. Well, sure, yes. It, it's a simple answer. Yes, it is. But what made this one particularly difficult is just the size of the box itself when it's flat, mm-hmm. because I really. I had, I, my physical body had to maneuver around a flat, a large flat box and turn on different sizes or sides of it. Yeah. And if it had been something that was maybe a little more compact, like a, you know, smaller pizza box or something, then I probably could have just laid it all flat on my press and, yeah. you know, highlighted the proper areas, with just one print. But because this box was so big and had so many different sides to it, I really needed to, um, print it multiple times like I couldn't
0: screened it in different positions. You had
1: to keep moving this box. I just kept creating different little uh, jigs to kind of hold it in place, hold the die in place and, and would set it up. But that made it really easy paper. Anytime you can just kind of create some barriers or boundaries for it and just kind of get it stuck right there. Um, Lining it up becomes simple. It was just literally the act of moving around this big box a few times to get it right. Mm -hmm. And so, you so got yeah, on the inside, I just,
0: oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, well, go ahead. I was just going to say you got print on both sides of the box. So adding to like the, the detail and time it took to, to do all of this, because if you're doing 50 boxes or so in multiple, you know, multiple passes, yeah. multiple positions, multiple sides, like that ain't quick.
1: No. And, and to, yeah, I mean, I had, I had about 50 boxes. I, I didn't necessarily send out 50 of them, like some, mm-hmm. some of the smaller jobs I had over the year kind of got, you know, a simpler version of that. But, um, but the box itself went out to, to my largest accounts for sure. And, uh, and it was one of those, one of those things where on the inside. I just kind of wrote, you know, what I consider to be a personal, but still professional message, just saying, Hey, thanks for choosing to spend your money with stuff brain this year um and then here's you know here's some little things that i made to show you how much i appreciate it and mm-hmm. yeah but um i'll say this as far as being re, um you know reusing and recycling things so a lot of the graphics that i used from this were from a project that i got stiffed on by a client at the time <laughs> and so yeah so i mean they they had come to me looking f- for me to to kind of build them a little world of a diner setting and and so I was able to say, okay, well, you never paid me for the work. So here's, you know, here's mine. And so it was a fun kind of fun way. Cause a lot of the world that I build for my clients is very much the same world that I would build for myself in my own projects. Mm-hmm. It's just, they're in a different side of the street or something, you know, they're in a different yeah. building on the, on the, on the block. And so the, they all kind of play in the same style, the same aesthetic, and. Um, and so these characters, I fell in love with them. I worked real hard on them. And I was like, if I can give them to all my clients versus just one, that's cool, you know, yeah. and uh, it, it ended up working out with that client in a different direction. But at the time, they they had no need for that. And I was able to find a proper use for them.
0: Dan, that's so fun. So did you already have the screens made for those? Or did you still have to like do fresh screens for this project?
1: Oh, no. So, I mean, those designs were going to live on like apparel and other stuff. So it Got wasn't. It. Yeah. So it, they were just digital at that point. So and you then, incorporated
0: them out. Got it. Correct. Yeah. Got yeah. it. So how did you decide what you were going to put in this box? Like, what was the, the message you wanted to deliver? Just uh, obviously a big old thank you. But how yeah. did you decide what went into this?
1: Uh, I mean, it was something that kind of felt... Um, you know, a little tongue in cheek, like, again, this, as you can see, the guys wearing the, the burgers, wearing a diner hat, the, so is the <laughs> chef guy. And so I, very quickly I was looking at these. I was like, well, what's something that makes sense that doesn't cost a ton. Mm-hmm. And, uh, as I do screen printing, I always put on an apron. And so I said, Hey, that could be kind of the feature thing. Like everybody, you know, if you're, it's, it's a fun gift. You can usually, you know, put some a nice little joke on there or something. It's not, mm-hmm you don't have to worry about a size for any particular client. You don't have to worry about, uh, do do they drink whiskey? Do they, you know, are they sober? Like you don't have to think about that type of consideration. So you're not worried about size. Um, So this is something that is very practical for anyone, whether it's, you know, a five foot five uh, woman or a seven foot man, like they can fit into an apron. And so that was kind of the, the driving force. It also ended up tucking into that box almost perfectly, which was total, you know, serendipitous luck. Um, mm-hmm. as far as the width of it going in there. But then I just kind of took some of those additional graphic elements and just made some simple prints for them. I love doing things in kind of a, a series. I've never done a cohesive box like this where everything's the same color. You know, everything's kind of styled the same and just really something that's presentable when you open it. I've never at that point in time, I hadn't had the opportunity to do that for a, a robust client project where it's yeah. multiple tactile pieces. It's usually just a one-off can or this or that. But I was like, what's it like to really be able to kind of hide so many little things inside this box that all feel like it came from the same
0: thing. Um, yeah. And that, yeah. that was one thing that definitely jumps out to me is the, the consistent color palette of mm-hmm. everything.
1: Yeah. And just and how
0: cohesive it all looks together.
1: Yeah. And honestly, so that wrapping paper, I bought that back in probably 2014 and it's just made it from studio to studio with me. I bought it for my first run of screen prints ever so I could roll them in a tube and hand them out. And I bought so many of them that I'll never, I'll probably never run out. And so so that was just another way of saying what's in my studio that I can, that I can start to deplete my stock of and man, all right, that red really kind of matches the apron let's find an ink color that can match both of those. And, and so we fun. just ran with it.
0: That's cool. So what, well, let's list out these items in the box. So they have got an apron, you've got, um, it looks like a couple of prints some stickers, a button, a pencil. Like, can you detail out some of this stuff?
1: Yeah. So, um, pretty much just a standard, I always try to do prints in standard sizes, uh, you know, so there's mm-hmm. an 11 by 14, there's an eight by 10. Uh, and then just the card is just a nice little holiday card. Uh, inside the the apron sleeve there it's kind of uh i think it's on, the, on another slide or two but it does list out all the all the items in the box itself oh yeah yeah there you go yeah. and it kind of handmade with repurposed ingredients is kind of what i wrote on it and uh and it just kind of lists out every little tactile piece that was used and and how and you probably can't read it that well yeah, yeah I get, it. I get it yeah yeah you can get some of it but um but yeah it's just another one fun way for me to have some you know i like to arguably write too many words so i could always just add some additional quirkiness in there and some lighthearted I love that. nature stuff yeah
0: i love that you incorporate your personality into this because it's it's exactly something like i would do just add like a couple of funny notes just the clever notes and it just just because just to get a reaction just yeah. get a smile but, um, i they... like the last line the apron is new <laughs>
1: The <laughs> Uh yeah. I mean, to me, it's, it's sometimes it feels kind of cheesy, but if that's what I, if that's what makes me smile, smile and laugh, then I, I really just need to lean into it for the longest yes. time. I try to, I try to present myself as something a little different, but I'm like, no, that it, it didn't get me very far. So you know, yeah. this is definitely more me.
0: Yeah, being yourself—that's the way to go for sure. Yeah.
1: And so the actual apron itself says, uh, "The official creative director up in this kitchen," and uh, <laughs> and that's. And uh, made yeah, I even re- repurposed uh, the idea of 3D glasses in this again too, where it's like, hey, this thing's real and in 3D uh, versus all the tactile paper stuff that you know I was also presenting.
0: Yeah, man, such a cool piece. Now, do you have any kind of details like ROI or feedback? Like, did the customer have you had somebody come back to you just because of this piece or? Like, what are the what are the benefits, whether it's financial or not, of putting this out there to your customers?
1: Yeah, uh, I can't say with a hundred percent certainty anybody has come back to me specifically based on the box. For sure, I did get some nice messages saying, "Hey, I really appreciate you sending over that." Uh, the, to, but to the, the honest to God truth is, I think screen printing probably goes over a lot of people's, you know, heads and levels of appreciation. To me, it's my guilty pleasure. It's the thing yeah. that I that I kind of geek out about. Uh, To a lot of folks, I'm sure it could just be like, oh, we printed off some posters for, you know, like they don't necessarily think about the work that might go into the process of screen printing. And that's totally okay. I don't take offense to that at all. But at the same time, I don't know if anybody said, holy cow, you must have spent so much time on this, you know, because most of the work I do for my clients isn't screen printing. So they don't know the the back end logistics of that. You know, we usually work with a a pre-press or, you know, an actual printer to... Mm-hmm. Um, to handle their jobs. So if we were doing posters for them, like, you know, let's say I did that for one of my gig poster clients, they'd right. probably get it and truly be like, holy cow, why'd, why'd you go to all this work for a little old me or something? <laughs> but, but in general, the clients appreciated it. I, I certainly have worked with many of them again this year. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, you hope that that can be the case, but you really, I don't think you do, I don't think you give a gift with the idea of having it be, serving to you you know you give a gift to give the gift.
0: yes but and the other part about print and why this is such a brilliant idea um you know, creating a self-promo piece even if it's not for promo it's just something you created to really share and give back to your customers is Mm -hmm. that how many of them still have this hanging around the office right yeah, How yeah. many of them still put on that apron every day or at least see it hanging there every day? And mm-hmm. um, that is brand recognition, brand recognition, brand recognition. So even if you did it by accident, mm-hmm. there's marketing behind what you did.
1: Oh, sure. And I, I can't be totally oblivious to that either. That's, mm-hmm. that, I, I guess that did cross my mind. But at the same time, it's, I don't know. I feel like most of us in the design space love the idea of seeing a logo on something or seeing like a iconic mm-hmm. mark. Right. And, uh, and so this is the, one of the rare opportunities where, Hey, instead of putting one well on everything, I get to put stuff brand on something. And yeah. so I, I get that it's, yeah, it's definitely marketing. And I hope that, you know, whether they refer back to it or somebody that comes into their office, sees it and appreciates it. I definitely yeah. hope that ends up leading to, you know, something, but at the same time I was like, eh, I understand that they may not want a, a <laughs> diner that says stuff green up in their office. Maybe that doesn't make sense. Or, a, you know, a devil with a beer can saying cheers may not be what they want to frame for their, you know, for their home. And that's okay, too. To me, it was just a kind of, at its simplest form, something to say, hey, you guys took care of me. I'm going to try to do something nice and thoughtful for you.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. I love the message behind that.
1: Um, I wish I I would have customized the pencil. If I had had more time oh a nice custom pencil, that's my one regret with this project. I would have loved to have had those made.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. But at the end of the day... This one of those things, and I and I often say this to people: is you know the designer, the creator, the printer of something will always look and and see, oh, I could have done that or I should have done that. Mm-hmm. The consumer or the person receiving it just sees everything else and goes, sure. "This is an incredible package. This is so great." Um, but yeah, I know what you mean. Where you have that little bit, you are like, "Ah, wish I wish I did that."
1: Yeah. I mean, like everything else was, you know, had some level of my hand touching it, except literally that, well, yeah, the apron I even printed on. So yeah, just yep. the pencil was the one thing that I should have just taken a, a Sharpie, you know, just even just a Sharpie and just,
0: <laughs> just a little red mark. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Give it the red, give it the red treatment. It's like everything else had. but
0: yeah, give no, it the that red was it was it was a,
1: it was a lot of fun to put together and very satisfying just to kind of open up the box and and sort mm-hmm. through how the layering of it should go for the unveil you know like i've i hear i hear it's a thing i've never done it but have you ever watched a, like youtube unpacking videos or is that something you've done yourself
0: i myself have filmed a few even just okay, recently yeah yeah really just like showcasing the experience and you've you crafted an experience here that somebody very easily could have done that with
1: Yeah. It's, it's so cool to, so cool to think about that. Like, all right, well, if this sits on top of that and this fold goes here with the, yeah. So that was a lot of fun to me. Yeah. yeah, It was just one of those type of self-indulgent projects that was going to be a gift. But at the same Mm -hmm. time, I had so much fun putting it together. It was was fulfilling
0: for you. Yeah, absolutely. And that's cool. I always encourage people to create stuff like this to promote their business. And, you know, you don't have to go to a printer and spend $20,000 in creating something like you can really get creative and resourceful with your skills, with your abilities, with the tools that you have at hand um, to create something really unique for people um, 100, to experience.
1: Yeah, 100%. And, you know, if screen, screen printing is a pretty accessible medium, but it can get, have some challenges as far as the amount of equipment you want to be efficient at it. You yep. can screen print. On your kitchen table it might not be the most effective or you know clean process but yeah. um I, I encourage anybody that's looking for a way to start with something tactile you know just buy a cheap D- diy set from a from a store and and get to print and
0: just get in there just start experimenting start trying start learning that's mm-hmm. really cool um mike i got one more last question that i want to uh to ask you and it could possibly tie into um Kind of what we, were, what we were just saying, but what advice would you give a designer out there who is seeing great packaging and great print, and and really wanting to get into that, whether it's a craft beer label or or a box or a poster? Um, what advo- advice would you give them to get started?
1: Well, these days, I think it's I think it's a really accessible thing to to become a package designer um at least in the online sense like get recognized for package design without having ever even actually done it um Mm -hmm. with the mock-ups that are available these days you can you can create a whole portfolio of package designs and none of it's ever actually been out in the real world certainly i would like to see things out in the real world but if you're looking looking to get your foot in the door that way i mean it's you start using mock-ups and you know Mm -hmm. start to see what your work translates to on a 3d surface And maybe a client will come around and say, hey, can you do that for us? And then it all of a sudden becomes real and you kind of self-fulfilled that way. Um, The other thing I can say is um, print stuff off, bend it, tear it, you know, twist it, turn it, do all those things. Uh, Build your own box. Just you know, print it off, make it a small little one, fits it Fits on an 8.5 by 11, mm-hmm. just see what that looks like. And you learn a lot about figuring out how you need to, one, set up your files, two, account for a three-dimensional space, mm-hmm. and three, what your, you know, just general limitations are, and it's getting that tactile sense, you wouldn't do it by doing the mock-up route that I'm talking about before. So I think you want to hit it from both sides. You want to explore and experiment, Mm -hmm. but if you need to get work out there tomorrow to try to get that job Thursday, um, you know, mock-ups are a great tool.
0: You know, the consistent theme between both of those is both in mock-ups and Mm -hmm. in, you know, when you're printing something out of your printer and and actually cutting it out and assembling it, you start to learn, especially with packaging, The panels and how things come together, how things fold together. And when they are in that folded position, it's going to look different than it did flat.
1: So you want to make
0: sure your positioning is correct. And how does the face of that look when you don't have the flat supporting artwork around it when it's on Mm -hmm. its own in a box with one panel? What does that look like? Yeah. Um, So, yeah, that's a consistent thing between both of those
1: yeah like beer beer labels are relatively you know it's a cylinder so i mean you can kind of start on one side find your way to the other but one of my first big packaging projects that i spent a lot of time on was some coffee packaging and Mm -hmm. and that one was a very three-dimensional okay well the bag comes rolled you know it comes kind of clamped down and then Mm -hmm. as it as it opens up what do you uncover when you flip it to the bottom what do you see as the bag gets uh more or less or full the sides become pinched in and compressed like all that type of stuff and i just printed out so many versions of those <laughs> just to kind of cut it out and die line it and uh, yeah. yeah i learned so much just by getting it in my hands physically
0: yeah that's a huge huge first step 100 percent. and when you were saying craft beer you know getting into that craft beer label talk mm-hmm. um it's fairly inexpensive to approach a label printer that prints digital labels and to just start experimenting, you know, do a run of 10 labels, um, you know, or 50 labels on 10 each on five different papers to see what it looks like. And what does the design do? And you start to just figure these things out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, way back when I used to, I used to bring my brother lunch every once in a while at work and I would make what I called Mikey fajitas. And I'd create, <laughs> nice. and I'd just go to my printer and just print off a little label that would say "Mikey Fajitas," and created a little logo and a little package for it. I'd seal it up in the in the aluminum foil and go drop it off to him. But presentation, you know, like hey, that's that aluminum foil is not just plain, and now it's branded. Now it's got it's Mikey a little something. fajitas. And it cost me nothing more than you know a sheet of paper and. Got people talking, you know, at the yeah. very least people that were there were like, what the hell is that all about? So <laughs> That's first so of cool. all, why'd your brother bring the lunch?
0: But yeah. Yeah, exactly. What's the deal with that? Yeah. Oh, good, man. Like this has been awesome chatting with you about these projects. Thanks so much for making the time for this. Um, Where can people find out more about you find you on Instagram, all that kind of jazz.
1: Yeah. So Instagram's probably the best place. That's where I'm most active. The website, mm-hmm. as every designer I've ever heard said needs some updating and, <laughs> uh, 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 at stuff to underscore brain.
0: Awesome. Yeah. So that's the place and they'll, they'll find a link in there to, to go elsewhere, but definitely Instagram. Awesome. Again, Mike, thank you so much for time. And this has been awesome. Thank you, Dave. Really appreciate it. All right, everybody, that's the end of today's episode. I told you it was a good one. What a great conversation. Really enjoyed chatting with Mike. And I've always said this about print. Print has staying power, has memory power. When somebody gets a client gift box, like what Mike talked about in this episode, opens it up and has that sort of tangible interaction with Mike's brand, like that has staying power. That's amazing. Plus the way that he, you know, sort of assembled it by, you know, using products that he just had lying around and put it together, like in a pretty cost-effective fashion, that is like the nitty gritty, what you can create with print. It's freaking awesome. Again, if you are interested at all in craft beer label design, go to printdesignacademy.com or check out the description, the link in the description of this podcast episode where we take you directly to the page that tells you all about that craft beer label design course. And it's not for just craft beer. Any sort of beverage. You want to make a juice product, a sparkling water, some kombucha? They're going to need labels and shrink sleeves. If they're not getting into printed cans yet, then they're going to need labels and shrink sleeves. Let us teach you how to be an expert in that, learn how to talk the talk, create those flawless files, and really take advantage of materials and processes to make a design that just jumps right off of the shelf and is a win-win for you and your customer. That's it for this week. Back next week. See you then. Bye.